We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lonsford, skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me today for a conversation about all things Indiana Pacers basketball is the one and only Scott Agnes of the Fieldhouse Files. Scott, what's going on, man? Hey, Alex. Doing well. Like you, uh, fun but busy time of year. Pacer fans engaged, excited for, I think, a change, a fresh start both for Rick and for this franchise. Yeah, so it's it's been a very busy week for you know Pacer fans. We got to hear Rick Carlisle speak to the media along with Kevin Pritchard, and then some news came out about some assistants. And you know the 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 head assistant Lloyd Pierce was named by Adrian Wojnarowski. So let's start there with these assistants. I mean, he has been the biggest name I think added to this roster or added to this coaching staff. What are your thoughts on Lloyd Pierce? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. That was that's what. Rick had made a priority after his press conference, and he's, as we're recording this, he's currently in, in New York getting a few vacation days in with his family before arriving and, and getting things started. Hadn't even signed his contract, and I thought this was odd or different more than anything. It's back in the Donnie Walsh days and everything, they would never even comment on or off the record about a deal happening until something signed on the dotted line, until it actually was finalized. But I, co- I commend the Pacers. They should. Um, and they did kind of do the language all of us do is they reached an agreement and that's what it is. So I give them props, but I was surprised to see them make it public and move forward. But in terms of the assistance and with Lloyd, yeah, he, he needed that player guy. And I think Lloyd fits that bill. Um, that's primarily uh, what he's really good at, I think, is connecting with players. And, and I, you can't quite do that as a head coach, right? I think the first feedback from fans would be like, Hey, look at the situation in Atlanta and maybe a relationship with Trey Young. It's a little different when you're the head guy. You really don't have friends, so to speak. You have to take charge. You have to own things. You have to do what's best for the team. Whereas assistants, that's part of the reason, quite honestly, Dan Burks prefers being an assistant coach. He doesn't have to be the the mean guy, the tough guy. He can just um, say it as it is and and help guys and teach. You're more of an instructor and uh, someone they can lean on 
And so I like the addition of Lloyd Pierce. Um, not sure if I love it just yet. And that's more so because I need to learn more. We need to learn exactly what went down in Atlanta and exactly where he can help this team. The fact that he has ties to USAB is huge. Um, and so I, I do like the addition. Um, but I'm also curious what exactly he wants from Lloyd Pierce, right? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I was interested in the name David Fisdale. I brought it up on our podcast. I said, I wonder if David Fisdale would have any interest in getting back into coaching, uh, specifically as an assistant coach. And then it was rumored that um, he was actually a target of the Pacers. They offered him more money than the Lakers, but ended up taking that job with L.A. So, I mean – Can you blame him either? Yeah, that's no, a perfect situation. I, I totally agree. And I, I was asked that question, why do you think he went there instead? I said, well, number one, it's a bigger opportunity to get back into coaching. And number two, you know, you never know that 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 seat's going to be hot there, whoever the head coach is, as long as LeBron's there. If you're not winning games and you're not, you know, advancing, even though Frank won him a championship two years ago, I mean, it's it just is what it is at this point. You got a small window with LeBron, so um, and it makes sense to go back with LeBron. So Lloyd there Pierce, it is. That's yeah, exactly that's right. that's what it is. And, and Lloyd Pierce coming to Indiana, I know a lot of people, like you said, brought up the whole entire thing with the Hawks thing, and maybe a little bit mad on it, but. Kind of how I felt about Bjorkren all season long. It's just like a lot of these guys might be great assistant coaches, but when they're head coaches, they don't have that same level of success. And you bring up a great point in Dan Burke. These Some of these guys are better as assistant coaches, and that's really why I think Lloyd Pierce can thrive in this role because he isn't that head coach. And by the way, I, I always like to emphasize – and there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with being an incredible top assistant or whatever. Just like I, I'll often say, you can go at players, even if they don't make the NBA, they can go have a fabulous career and earn generational wealth overseas. And there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. So Lloyd may be a great head coach. Maybe he needs a new opportunity uh, with a different situation. Uh, we don't know that just yet, but he's clearly well thought of. Nate McMillan, I, I wrote about this a couple of years ago, kind of took him under his wing. And that's why it was cool to see them reunite in Atlanta. Uh, he kind of looked out for him, called him occasionally, checked in with them um, when they had some bad losses or, or anything like that. And the fact that Greg Popovich uh, thinks enough of him to have him on his staff, obviously hilarious too, that Lloyd replaced Nate with USA basketball. Um, mm. and so there's just so many ties, but that ultimately is what basketball is. It's a relationship business and eventually everybody overlaps with everybody. Yeah. So, and then the other names that were kind of mentioned, I don't know if they're official or not, or, or nothing's official yet. There's no right. contracts been signed and, and that okay. goes to Rick has made a point. Hey, he, he's, it won't happen, but he wants all the names to be announced together. Okay, I got you, I got you. So Ronald Norred is the big one. I think J. Michael reported on that one as well as Woj. Uh, maybe it wasn't Woj, maybe it was somebody else. But uh, I know his name was mentioned, and so was Jaron Collins. Um, do you know anything about their background, and, and do you think they'd be good fits for this coaching staff? I don't, haven't heard about Jaron Collins. I think that was probably uh, for a similar position as Lloyd Pierce. Okay. Um, I'm not, I don't know that, but that was my read of the situation. So now that, that position is filled. I don't know if Jaron would still be as interested, right? He left the Warriors to get a bigger opportunity, probably more of an associate head coach type role as he's trying to work his way to becoming a head coach and seemingly was excellent. And especially with connecting with guys out in his previous uh, gig in terms of Ronald Norred. Uh, yeah, it's probably going to happen. Um, there's no paperwork that's been sent out to him. They're still working on it. Um, but I would fully expect for Norred to be here in Indianapolis. That's been going on for about three or four days now as of this recording. 
Gotcha, gotcha. And it is the the second of July. If you're curious what the date is, so that's that's an interesting name. And I went back and I looked up some YouTube videos just to kind of get a feel of, you know, who he is as a coach, who he is as a guy. And there's a great feature on him with his time in the G League, Brad Stevens, talking about you know what kind of player he was and how he was you know so gifted to be a coach. And I'm really excited for Ronald Nori to come here and be on this and be on this coaching staff. And are there any other names out there that we should keep an eye on, Scott, that could possibly be added to this roster? Or this coaching staff. Dorid, yeah, you you obviously have a, a local favorite um, from his days with Butler. Um, what he, I think he grew up in uh, Lexington, I want to say, um, and so he's got the obvious connection. He's a players type coach too. He re- realizes, yes, it's about basketball, but he cares more about them off the court and those sorts of things. And as we all know, that's the type of guy that they need on the coaching staff. And the problem this past year. We've probably talked about this before. Is just one they just had never had that opportunity. They never had those team meals. There was no coaching dinners, which you know is a big deal. Um, even player team meetings. Or I go back, you know, Roy Hibbert having a player um, paintballing tournament, or Glenn Robinson the third having guys over for a barbecue. There were none of those opportunities. So I that think that negatively impacted both the coaching staff and uh, you know this team chemistry, and then. Nate just couldn't hire a staff. Um, that's what I, I think I reported back in March on my Dan Burke article that I found out that that's the reason this staff was so poor. And I've talked to guys on the staff. I've talked to agents. None of them are even sure how Greg Foster got here. We know Caleb. I, we think it's he's a veteran coach um, that brings some experience and be, could coach the big men. But Caleb Canales, obviously, Chad and Kevin's guy from their days in Portland. Tyler came over. Um along with Dylan, the video guy, uh, for, with Nate, they've traveled with him. Calvert Chaney obviously has a lot of connections inside the organization and is a fan favorite. And But that staff just was not good enough, had no experience or little experience. And so that was an issue. And already and now we're seeing, I mean, it helps that Rick's uh, here, Alex, is the president of the Coaches Association. So he, he helps them. Um, so he has all those connections. And so I've been told to expect two, at least two individuals coming with him from Dallas. Um, those deals are not finalized just yet, but some familiar names and one not. I don't want to put them out there just yet because I'm okay. told it's not done yet. Um, but there's two names I'm fully expecting, at least from Dallas. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm Dylan, and by the way, I think Dylan, the video coordinator, I'm told to expect him to stay. Okay. Again, I emphasize not done, but likely. Yeah, and I know a lot of fans are curious if they get Dan Burke back, but I think I saw that you said he's still under contract. Not happening. I checked into that. He's under contract, and he's a, a key bench rule. So it's different if he was like player development, like Popeye. Yeah. Um, that would be a different situation. He's a, a, top, a top assistant and under contract, so it's not happening. And as I've already reported, uh, Kevin's not welcoming him back, to say the least. So. Okay, interesting. So that's why he's gone. Um, I'll just say that. Like, I got it you, wasn't got that you. Dan didn't want to stay. He read the writing on the wall that okay, Nate's gone. I'm out too. Time to figure out somewhere else. Yeah, it, it's it's all a bit different. And I think that didn't Kevin kind of highlight that they missed some of that um, from Dan and his presser when he fired Bjorkman. He he did. He acknowledged that and. Um, that that was a mistake and the defense clearly suffered. And then that, so that's what they need. They not only need the player relationship type guy, which Dan to an extent is, Ronald more, more so is, but also they lost their defensive roots. They lost their culture. I think this team doesn't have an identity right now. And did you notice uh, one of the first calls he made after making that change from Nate was to Donnie Walsh. And so that, that, that's extending an olive branch. Donnie, by the way, is not even under contract anymore. He's a retired. 
Mm-hmm. But yet he made that call to Donnie. Um, and then one of the first calls Rick Carlisle received after he was done was from Larry Bird. Larry stayed out of it, but he did do that favor for the Pacers and check in on if Rick was available and interested. So I think that is a good return because one of the overlying themes here, Alex, over the last couple of years is the Pacers have gotten away from what made them special. They, they fired a couple agents or scouts, I should say, that have been here forever. They got rid of, of Peter's gone, not brought back. Dan Burke gone. And well, you can't do that in this market. They, they lost sight of who they were and in turn are still trying to reestablish that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It feels like there's just been something missing with this franchise for the last couple of years. And I think accountability is one of the big ones. And I think, you know, McMillan did a good job of, well, you know, maximizing the roster, uh, the talent on the roster. But I just feel like, you know, I think Pritchard even addressed it. They've got to have somebody in this locker room step up and be a leader. And we know that Thad Young was that. We He mentioned Al Jefferson was that as well. So I'm just curious, you know, looking at them bringing in Carlisle for the money they brought him in for, <laughs> do you think that this means that he's going to have more of a voice in the locker room, be able to hold guys more accountable than, say, maybe uh, obviously Nate Bjorken, but even more than Nate McMillan? Uh, and twofold, he'll have more of a voice inside the locker room just because he has credibility. He's been there, done that. He has a title. He can speak from experience and and that sort of thing. I mean, when Nate walks in, I, I don't know what it was like, but people, players are probably like, okay, who's this guy? What's he about? Um, does he know anything? That type of thing. Like generally curious what they're getting into. We all know what the Pacers are getting into with Rick. We've seen it here personally. We've watched the Mavericks up close for the last 13 years and see that. And then the other side of the voice is he's going to have some influence here. Um, we'll see just, but for example, I think TJ McConnell's exactly the type of player he would love, right? JJ Berea down in Dallas. Well, if it's close and a reasonable deal, I think I know Kevin wants to have TJ back, but I think a guy like Rick Carla, he's, he wants and values a guy like TJ McConnell. Um, and so you'll, I think he'll be able to speak up and, listen to that and we did hear him say yes i expect for it to be collaborative but you don't get paid over seven million dollars a year only to coach the team you have more influence yeah and i, and I thought it was interesting listening to carlisle talk for about an hour a little bit over talk about tj mcconnell he really brought up his intensity and i kind of made a comparison to jj Barea with the dallas mavericks and kind of what he meant that's to that exactly team. right and i think that that's kind of what he envisions with tj mcconnell so yeah, I think you need that leader, but do you think that there's a possibility that they still try to upgrade the point guard position and maybe McConnell becomes a third-string type of guy, or do you think that he, if they bring him back, he's going to get guaranteed playing time? I think if you're the Pacers, you're looking at everything. Nobody's good enough on this roster to be untouchable or or anything. I think it all comes down, I think, this offseason to what other teams are offering, and that can go directly to the, the hot topic with Domas and Sabonis, or it could go to the point guard spot. Um, the Pacers have to look to get better in the, the two small edges, if you will, or that the Pacers can use are coaching to their advantage. They can go out and hire and compete for a top coach. They finally did that and committed the resources and money to do that. And they can also do that via trade, via trade. They're not doing it uh, right in free agency. They just don't have that kind of um, des- destination appeal. And so, that's where they can look here uh, via trade to try to upgrade the roster. And I think, yeah, it could be a point guard. I think that's a big spot that they've been lacking. And this goes back a long time. I say, go back to Jamal Tinsley 
Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. And, and Rick Carlisle is a guy that values not only a great point guard, but a smart, a smart point guard, um, but also a defensive point guard. And and Malcolm has most of those att- attributes, but not all. They do have that Virginia connection. I think they like each other. Um, but so much, I know it's kind of bland, but I think you have to look all over and see what offers are available to upgrade. But I, I don't think they're going to completely run it back, and I don't think you can. Okay, because that was going to be my question, because based on – because why would you? Yeah, right? I mean, everything Carlisle said, though, I mean, it really felt – I think what most people get so tied up in is, are they going to break Turner and Sabonis up? And that was, you know, heavily asked, I, I feel like, to Carlisle, how are you going to utilize these guys? And he had a lot of great ways of utilizing both of them together, talked about staggering their minutes. But one thing he didn't really address was how he would use them defensively because that's where I feel like the problem is. It's not the offensive side. Like it can be sometimes a little bit stagnant, but I think more so it's the defensive side where it can be a little bit of a problem, especially trying to have Sabonis go out there and guard smaller fours. So quite frankly, I'm just asking you, Scott, and hearing what Rick said and how you think this team should go about building this roster in the summer, do you think it's more so run it back with the same starting five or – make a make a trade to try to tinker things a little bit and get more of a uh, competitive team here. I think it's more likely than not that there will be one, at least one change. Um, but again, it, it depends what's out there. You don't make change for the sake of doing it. But the crux of the problem in all this is that they're two very different players and you create an issue by solving an issue, right? So you move away from Domas and the offense isn't quite the same. He's the engine. He's the central hub. But defensively, you move on from Miles. You move on from a guy who's loyal to the franchise, the longest tenured guy, but also the heart of the defense. That's rough uh, without him. We don't want to see the last season or a month and a half of what we just witnessed, right? right. And with un- you would have to make other changes to the roster, I think, to offset that. And I don't think there's an obvious answer. Do you trade one or the other? Because I can make great reasoning with domas maybe his value will never be higher but with miles he's more interchangeable i think on other teams he's more that you know uh, guy that can stretch the floor he's more ready made for other teams to put it short um i just don't i don't think there's an obvious answer to what they're doing but i just can't imagine them bringing back you know for the same 14 guys and saying here we go again but we did see with rick is one thing he does is immediately upgrade and get more wins, right? He did that, I think, yeah. in uh, Detroit with like 18 more wins and then 13 more here in Indy. So there's always an, a, a Carlisle bump, but I don't think you should. they should be content um, with running it back, knowing not only did they have health issues, but they have guys on the team with constant health issues. That's kind of the bet they've made with some of them. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that getting healthy was something he prioritized in his in his uh, introductory press conference, you know, getting these guys healthy is key because look, this projected starting five has not even played a game together. So that's why, to me, I could see them saying, "Hey, we're not going to just make a trade to make a trade. We can run it back with these same five, and then maybe make a couple, you know, different transactions with our bench or something like that." But it, and you could hold out; it doesn't have to be this off season. Maybe you do bring it back, but you do make that midseason trade, um, right? Those right. sorts of things. I, you don't want to rush into a decision just like you don't want to rush into a coaching hire. But I wouldn't expect the same group to be here next time we're talking uh, a year ago here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and it's interesting because, too, Carlisle mentioned that he said Pritchard has told me that we get a lot of calls on our guys and a lot of people like them. So to me, like he threw that out there as well saying, okay, so the door is not completely shut on, you know, making a move, but there was a report that came out today from Jason Dumas uh, from, uh, from Philadelphia talking about the Pacers offered Brogdon in a first round pick for Ben Simmons. And they turned that trade down according to his report. I'm just curious if you heard anything on that. And if you think that that's a type of move that makes sense for Indiana. Yeah, I just laugh at that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, don't I don't waste my time with some of that stuff. And right, right. That deals that deal. If it was actually legit, that deal doesn't have enough value. If you're Philly, in my opinion, um, I'm not a big Ben Simmons guy personally. Okay, I, I I would not be one that have him. You know, top two defensive player in the league. I'm I've never been of that belief. I think. It's too one-dimensional offensively, not having a, a legitimate shot, great attacking and, and doing that and what he's able to – his versatility defensively is strong. But where, where you do – if you do want to talk about that type of deal is yeah, Pacers absolutely would have to consider it because a guy of that caliber you're not going to get in free agency, right? So via trade and if you want to upgrade, he would fit the bill. But, yeah, I don't – it's out there for a reason. Um, let's say that. And to me, it's to cr- try to create a market. For Ben Simmons, um, if anything, I don't, I don't know the guy, so I don't want to knock him or anything. Right? Yeah, yeah. And there was a radio host that kind of diffused that, basically said he reached out to both an Indiana source and a national source, and they both said that wasn't true. So I mean, obviously, there's just here's what we know about Indiana. By the way, they never put that stuff out. They would never leak anything. So it reminds me, if anything of the Boston situation, right? Yep. You always put things out. Oh, can you believe they turned this down? Well, in their turn, Danny Ainge stepping down at the end of the year after he he's botched the last couple of years. Think back to that deal, Alex, a year ago. He yeah, could have yeah. gotten a first-round pick, Miles and Doug. He could have repurposed them even if he didn't like them. That was just a bad executive job right there. Yeah, it, it was. played his hand. I, I honestly just think he didn't want to make Indiana better. I think he was a little bit afraid of what they could be and didn't feel like Charlotte or New York was much of a threat compared to what we were because, I mean, if you look at the year prior to that, we already had a pretty solid team, and then you get Hayward on that team healthy. I mean, it makes sense. I just, But you can't play scared. And no. That would be playing scared a little bit. Yeah. And not trusting Brad, Kimba, Jalen, Jason. They have more raw talent than the Pacers. Right. And I, maybe, maybe they were just a little frustrated that Hayward didn't want to be back. I don't know. That's just, it's a, it's a weird thing. I'm just glad Danny Ainge is gone. <laughs> um, Cause I feel like every time you deal with Danny Ainge, you're dealing with the devil because he's always trying to 
you know, he doesn't want to do a fair trade or something that makes sense for both sides. He's always asking for too much. And that's why it's, it's kind of perplexing to me, like how they got so many deals done. And then Brad steps right in and trades Kimball Walker to Oklahoma for uh, Al Horford. So, I mean, just uh just a weird dynamic there. I think that if they would have had Turner and Doug, like you said, with that first round pick, they would have been in a much better position uh, to, to be competitive this season. There's no Let's make clear, that. no matter what they thought of them, they would have been a way better situation because in turn, they got nothing for Hayward. Absolutely yeah, that's, nothing. You could have sent Doug for probably a late first, maybe a first. Maybe that's a little eager because he was in a contract year. Miles, probably a first. And um, what am I? And then another first. Well, they just traded a first, right? Yeah. So <laughs> they could have yeah. used that one as well. Well, and it made no sense for Charlotte either because then they had to stretch Nick Batum over the next three years. And so now they're paying him $9 million a year for the next three years, which uh, that's just I – don't, I don't necessarily understand what everybody was doing in that whole entire situation. But going back to that, that – you know, Down a different road there right there, didn't we? Well, we did. We did. But I want to get back to that in a sense because Turner was the guy they were willing to trade last, last offseason. Carlisle comes in and says he really wants to get back to playing defensive-minded basketball and get back to that identity. So I guess that would kind of counter um, any any type of move that would you know include Turner. But at the end of the day, do you think that that can be fixed elsewhere if they do move Turner on the defensive side of things? So here's the other thing. Rick's in control. He's, he's savvy. Again, president of the Players Association, he knows how this works, how the game works. So it would have been awful for him to come out and say, yeah, I think all right about some of these centers, but I, I could trade. Well, you don't want to diminish their trade value before he even has some, right? Mm-hmm. And so if anything, what I read into that was he was playing the game. And even before getting into the roster, yes, he would be comfortable bringing both back. But he also didn't shy away from upgrading the roster. Therefore, you might see something. He didn't pigeonhole himself, if you will, is what I'm trying to get at. And so he's remaining flexible and keeping their for there to be a market. I think he sees great value in both of them and what they contribute. But to your point, then if you move on from miles again, I think you would have to get something. Maybe you add a three and D guy, right? Um, and that's a big position they've needed for a while. Um, I think we'll also see the value of TJ Warren. I think that was an underrated loss that we, none of us probably have talked enough about mainly offensively, but also defensively like Boyan before him and others, Doug, even he's improved what he's done and, and kind of shed that don't play defense stereotype. It was something Phoenix never asked of him. Therefore he never did it. Well, the Pacers of course are going to ask of him. So again, in short, if they have to move on for miles or choose to, you would have to upgrade the defense elsewhere. Plus you can make some of that up with schemes. Cause some of that just didn't make sense. I, I'll never understand Domas guarding his guy 35 feet from the basket and those sorts of things. So you can make some schematic tweaks, but the roster will have to be retooled and shuffled a little bit if they do decide to go that route. Yeah. I think you're going to see a more competent style of defense played uh, this season. I mean, I'm not even trying to be rude, putting it. but it's just like, why in the world are we out there guarding Russell Westbrook, uh, a guy that you would prefer to take three point shots instead of giving him a yes. lane to the basket, you know, all the way up, you know, four or five feet above the three point line. Like it didn't make any sense. And dare him to take threes. I don't care. Yeah. It's like, and the same with Ben Simmons. I think they did that with him a little bit too. It's just like, what, what are we doing here? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the offense, everybody statistically to me had improved seasons offensively because I know we played a faster pace and it was just a different type of uh, system that I've never seen before. And quite frankly, I mean, who, who knows if he would have been a better, you know, 
player relations kind of coach or, or just a better relations person overall if, if he would have maintained that job. But it just seemed like he lost that locker room really quick. And I'm just I'm just curious, you know, we talked about Carlisle, but do you think there's any leaders out there maybe that could be brought in for like a veteran minimum deal, kind of to be like a, a, a low-key vet that could be added onto this roster? The only name that I could think of is maybe a Jared Dudley. Yeah, I, I would have to go through and through and see who's available types, but I, I thought it was notable how Kevin singled that out, right? We could all see it and, and acknowledge it, but for him to to put that out there means now we now we have to see and, and hold him accountable. Does he go find that guy and, and the right guy, right? I I can think back and there's so many guys previously that fit that bill. Um, whether it was, you know, David West, the late Rasul Butler, uh, did a lot of that. Um, even CJ McHale, uh, CJ Miles, or you know, other guys um, handled that well and were a veteran influence, even if they didn't play or, or contribute a great ton in in some instances. So that does seem like a, a missing link that they've had. And the, the challenge, and I, I wrote about this, the locker room, for what I was told, obviously never in there, unlike normal, was the worst it's been since Jim O'Brien. Like it had no energy. It was described to me like guys just showered and got out of there. Um, it wasn't a bad group of individuals, it was, they just didn't vibe. They didn't work well as a group. And, and COVID, we have to acknowledge, obviously played a factor as they wanted to get to their families and couldn't go out to dinner. I mean, how many times I remember uh, after games, it'd be at his locker, it'd either be Vic or, or maybe it'd be Miles. Hey, guys, the Eagle, we going tonight? What are we doing? You know, and they just didn't have that. They couldn't, they were banned from doing that type of stuff. So I can't specifically name a guy, but that has to be someone they have to be willing to spend, you know, the 15th or four, I'll say 14th position on the roster because, and I've even stressed this to Kevin, they have to leave that 15th spot open because good things can happen. You might yeah. bring in a guy 10 day, it doesn't work out, but guess what? In a great scenario, you get O'Shea Brissett and you land a gym and that's what they did this past year. So they have to leave one spot open for most of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, and I think what's really interesting to me is just you, you say those guys weren't vibing, but that was the same group that was together the year before, and they seemed to have a pretty good relationship. I mean, sure, you add in Karis Levert to the mix in the middle of the season, but I feel like, you know, still the majority of that core was still there. And I just – it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why they weren't gelling or why they weren't vibing as much. But, you know, we talked with Jay Michael on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about – multiple people telling him that DeMontis Savonis was labeled as selfish sometimes this season. And I know that me and you had a disagreement on Twitter, which is totally fine. I mean, we just see things differently where you said that it looked like Savonis got mad. He got pulled. I believe it was a game in Denver when he was close to getting a triple double and the team was getting beat by double digits. And you're like, no, they're just calling it a night for Domas pulling him out. And you, you said, look, he's looking down there. He's just staring at Bjork and he's mad about it. So, I mean, to me, Yep. If that's true and everything happened and, and Sabonis was this selfish kind of guy, do you think that the whole entire like part of Rick Carlisle's press conference where guys have to, ex, you know, kind of accept their role and be okay with it, you think that maybe have been, might've been targeted at maybe Domas and how things were handled last season? I, I think the point with Rick was a general philosophy. I don't think it was pointed um, necessarily at ever anyone and probably because he hadn't had a ton of conversations just yet, in my opinion, to to gather uh, a full perspective. He has talked to everyone at this point, including Domas, 
who's overseas and, and playing. But you're right, and I pulled it up to get it correct because I thought this was one of his money lines. Role identification is huge. Role acceptance is bigger. And and so I like that. And to your to your first point, I don't know for sure. And to be honest, I did not ask Domas directly. But what I know about Domas and how he felt about Nate, I read between the lines there. And I think it was less about the triple-double and more about his rotations, how he was, how he and others are utilized and uh, disagreements. I know I heard firsthand where <laughs> during a practice, uh, Nate uttered some phrases at Domas that he did not take too kindly of and clap back at him a little bit. And so leaning off that, um, that, that was, that's what informed my perspective there and what I saw. I don't think it was just the triple double possibility or anything like that. I think, there were growing disagreements with him and others um, about Nate. And so that's why, that's why I believe that. Yeah. Okay. So I want to transition to Malcolm Brogdon now, because this is a guy that has been labeled by Pacer fans, you know, and I, I've questioned if he had anything to do with, you know, his unhappiness with Bjorkman, because we heard at the beginning of the year, they're having lunch together, had a good relationship. But like I, like I said, like you guys were not in there, so you don't really know. But this is all stuff we said. I think Kevin Pritchard actually said that when he was on our podcast that Brogdon and Bjorkman had lunch almost every day together. And so you go back to Milwaukee. We talked to some Bucks guys, and they said Brogdon didn't like Kid. We, we've heard that, you know, Brogdon didn't like Nate McMillan. And now we heard Brogdon might have been part of the reason, you know, or, or been one of the lead vocalists and saying he thought that Bjorkren might not be the right guy. So maybe he was right on two out of the three with the coaches, but Brogdon kind of seems to be labeled as this person that could be, you know, someone tro- somewhat troublesome in the locker. Do you, do you buy that with Brogdon? And, you know, do you think that there's something there or is it just people just speculating? Yeah, that's a tough one because I agree and I've heard all the same things in terms of he wasn't a big fan of Jason, was ready for a change with McMillan, and then we all saw how he felt about Bjorken towards the end. It was hilarious um, because he, like Domas, um, like several others at the beginning of the year, purposely like brought him up almost to mock McMillan, it felt like, um, <laughs> about their effusive praise for him. Domas calling Nate a genius, Mc, or talking about Bjorken. This was a week into the season. Um, I thought that was just bizarre because they hadn't been around him, quite honestly, just enough. But then later in the year, um, it was hilarious when asked about him. He was like, well, uh, we just need to win tonight's game. Where yeah. Malcolm's a smart dude. We all know that. If it was not true or that he liked Nate or wanted him to stay, he would go out of his way to say something, right? Uh, we can all infer that uh, in everything. I don't know specifically um, if he... Out, uh, completely expressed his his feelings about Nate to to front office, but I think we can kind of know that based on how he feels and his willingness to share. And that's honestly, if you're Kevin, what you want to hear. Um, but I, I can't call him a coach killer or anything like that. Um, but maybe he is harder to get along with, or he has disagreements on how he or the team is used. But I think the last one uh, this past year is probably in fairness. We just criticized the defense. The offense sometimes didn't make sense. Uh, the minute the minutes thing was baffling as well because this was early in the season when we asked it about it a lot um, about him and Domas and they had no problem with it but yet it did seem to wear him down Domas too and that was one of my big takeaways with Carlisle about staggering minutes making it work not playing into the fatigue factor so I don't know directly I don't want to mislead you but I do think there may be some validity to that I've asked some of the some 
some people around the team and none of them have come out and, and saw that from their vantage point at all. So I can tell I you that. Yeah. Cause I wondered, I mean, I know Brogdon was, was hurt there towards the end of the season, but I wondered if he was just kind of taking his time with coming back because he just wasn't a big fan of playing for Bjorkren. So I think mean, that, it, that part's not true. I don't okay. think at all. Well, no. that's just me speculating. I don't think I really said it yeah. too much anywhere else. I just wondered, I was like, man, I wonder if he's just kind of holding that because like everybody knew this season was just going crazy once all the reports came out. And then we had the Batadze Foster blow up. It just, you know, it was just a crazy year. And so as we move forward, I want to get back to positive as we kind of wrap things up here. I know we've been going for a little bit. Um, looking at this current roster now, they've got the 13th overall pick. Um, that can be used as an asset, whether they make a nice selection or they trade it. They've got a lot of movable pieces on this roster and really good contracts. Nobody too expensive that a team might be like, oh, that's a contract I won't be willing to pay for. So do you like the the, the structure of this team or do you think overall they've got to make a move or two to really be, you know, a serious contender in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, so a couple of things. First of all, the team's rarely uh, drafting this high, so they have to maximize it. Um, ideally with that draft pick and you look at, the 13th selection and you've had very good players even recently come out of that 13th pick Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, like um, guys that can impact things uh, right away. And that's kind of what they've needed, but just because they're always good enough, but never great has kind of not afforded them that opportunity. Now I'm willing to trade it. Uh, if you can go get a franchise type guy, um, that type of thing again, because, they have to get it done via trade uh, or the draft. And, and that's one of the biggest criticisms, if anything, of, of Kevin in this front office. have not drafted well in recent history. And so they, they got a hit on it. Um, in terms of the current bunch, I do like the books. They're in very good spots. Only thing bad, really, on their books is Monte Ellis, <laughs> which is hilarious. He comes off after this year, finally. Um, but otherwise, I mean, the fact you can have Edmund Sumner easily would be outplaying uh, what his team option is at just over $2 million. Um, O'Shea Brissett, if he plays anything like he did this past year, is far bigger than less than $2 million he's going to earn. Um, I, I do have to think about Sabonis and Turner. Do you want to tie up $40 million in that position, especially with the way we're seeing what 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 is valuable in the postseason right now? It, it's defense, and it's more the guards and, and versatile wings, right? It's less so the traditional big man and you can get a Brooke Lopez for a little cheaper. Um, that's something they have to consider. If anything, and I've said this before, I feel like you build around Karis LeVert. Not that he's untouchable, but I think that is the move going forward. Interesting. Yeah. I, cause to me, I, I think it's Warren and LeVert. I, I love both those guys. I, I missed watching TJ play last year, even the yeah. few minutes that he did play, you could tell he was not himself. And then Lavert, it took him a little bit to get going, but once he got going, I mean, he was really in a groove. And I'm not sure what his relationship is like with Sabonis, but there in May, they had a nice little stretch together where they were playing incredibly well on the offensive end. So, yeah, that's that's the guys that I'm really intrigued by, just because they're kind of two way players to me, and they're guys, especially Warren and Lavert, guys that can get to the basket. Um, the playmakers, yeah, and that's that's what this team has desperately needed for such a long time. Right, right. I totally agree with that. So. I'm excited to see what happens. I mean, I think it's hard. And remember, TJ Warren's extension eligible. So we right. could, especially a guy that's been through some injuries, a couple surgeries that end his season. If I'm TJ, I'm, I'm doing what Victor did not and giving serious thought to an extension because you just don't know. 
Yeah, and then the rest of the guys, besides Sabonis, not starting five, are only under contract for two years. So that, to me, makes it like, you know, this could be, you know, show me what you got or it's going to be the end of the road after this season. Like, I mean, that's where I think, like, they if they give them one more year, like, it's not the end of the world. But, you know, I do think that fans are growing tired of this current core because they just feel like, you know, the double big is just really hard to accept, especially in today's modern NBA. But in terms of that 13th pick, I know you're not a big draft guy. I'll just throw this out there, the guy I like, and I'll uh, ho- I'm hoping he falls at 13. It's it's Moses Moody from Arkansas. I uh, we had a draft expert on uh, on our show for this upcoming week. We pre-recorded it, and basically what he said is, um, you know, he has Moody higher than 13th, but he said there's a possibility he could fall, and a lot of a lot of uh, college, I guess, a lot of. NBA scouts were a little bit disappointed with his um, NCAA tournament performance, but I think sometimes, and I don't, I'm not sure if you agree with this or not, but that NCAA tournament can, oh, uh, kind of, you know, be over dramatized in a sense on how we evaluate these players. And you know, I understand wanting to see them in the big moment, but in terms of just like overvaluing a guy or undervaluing a guy, do you feel like the tournament does that a little bit? For sure. Um, the best case scenario is it puts a lot of guys on the map, I think, for the world, right? John Morant, um, a perfect uh, situation there. Um, but I think back to some of the Pacers' best picks in some of what they've, most of what they've gathered in the best intel they've got is from practices. Paul George was not a great college player. He really wasn't. Turned it over a ton. Wasn't a great shooter. Kevin Mackey and, and Pat and I really liked what they saw from him in practice. Same thing with Miles Turner, misused down in Texas, um, came off the bench. But again, they they saw something in practice. So, yeah, it can be valuable in some ways. I think how they perform in a big stage, big pressure situations, um, those things you can take out of March Madness. But much like the pre-draft workouts, by by then you should already know what these players are. It can only help shape and help inform you already have your book on most of the guys, I think, by that point. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, can't believe the draft is literally less than four weeks away. So and your uh, timeline, my timeline's thrown off. We should be doing free agency right now. I know but, it's it's like I, July fourth is always the big. Yeah, um, that's when Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors. I remember that in July fourth weekend. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me! You know, like I was down at Orlando Summer League. I remember having uh, lunch right when that broke, and everybody's that's all everybody started talking about in a room of like fifty people. I know it's 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 crazy. We're like a month pushed back, yeah. so we got July 29th, I believe, for the draft, and then free agency. Didn't that start August? Is it third or sixth? I can't even remember at this point. Yeah, I think um, it's like August third to the eighth. I want to say. Okay, and then obviously we got summer league this year. Hopefully, we'll see Goga play in that. Um, that was kind of he my biggest. On it, by the way, he is planning on playing. Yes, that's awesome. Is O'Shea Brissett going to play with the team or? Haven't heard that, but I, I he is purposely sitting out with Team Canada. Um, okay, both because he has a non guaranteed contract and also for family. It's crazy. He had a baby girl like just over thirteen months ago and was gone the majority of the time. Like I, not a dad. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like, but he probably missed out on the best or you know with his first kid, his firstborn, and so he he's getting valuable family time in right now and good for him. Yeah, and I, and I think the Pacers are going to really benefit from picking him up. You know, just on that on that contract, I, I really hope he gets an extension, and I hope he gets that. Hope he gets a pay raise because clearly, I think he was pivotal to that team, kind of, you know, turning things around a little bit last year towards the end of the season. I mean, he was a big part of it, and I think they found something there. And I'm excited about O'Shea Brissett too. I know he's 
you know, just a guy that's probably going to be a backup for this team going forward. But I think that he could be one of the first guys off the bench and really make an impact. And it's kind of funny to think about a guy that's on a minimum contract doing that. Yeah. And for him to, to slide back into what he is and play against the bench guys and not have to be that starter and dependent on so much. I think that will be fun. It'll be fun to see him Edmund Sumner's growth. I'll be very, very curious about what they do or how Rick feels about Aaron holiday, because he's just kind of a misfit. Um, he's underperformed, but also is in fairness to him, hasn't had a true role goes from not playing to being a starter to coming off the bench. And that's difficult. I'm not sure how they feel anymore about Aaron holiday. And is it worth, is he your backup now? Um, is he included in the trade or is a guy like Aaron just good to move off of and, and get a first round pick for, I don't know what the right answer is, but I think it's time for them to make a decision and either go and go all in one way or the other. Well, let me ask you this because I just feel like him and TJ McConnell are just not a perfect duo and they that kind of is what holds Aaron from getting, you know, not hold him back, but I think just their position, they're kind of the same position and they play different styles. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I just they're too small, in my opinion, to play together uh, and be super successful. So do you think that maybe they get in each other's way? Maybe, um, although I feel like TJ might be one of the best things that's happened to Aaron, at least off the court, because I mean. Aaron doesn't lack confidence, but how could you not get down on and just frustrated? The guy used to starting and being probably one of the best guys on his team almost all the time. Um, and now he comes here and is not he's never been sure who he is, what he is. Um, he was frustrated his rookie year. He thought he could be, he should be a start being a starter. Um, I remember having that conversation with him after the last game of the year. Um, he wanted to, I I think I even asked him, I was like, how do you see yourself? Are you backup point guard? No, I'm a, a starter. And I, again, I get, you got to be confident. You got to speak it into existence, but can any of us confidently say he's a, a, a full-time backup point guard? I'm not sure. Maybe he is if you give him that opportunity, but that's been one of the, the baffling things. And then I wonder about Jeremy Lamb's future too. Yeah. Um, yeah. How they decide to utilize him with this group and, He's in the in he's entering the final year of a contract, so that's another guy to watch. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that, but I mean, if I was Aaron Holiday, I'd probably have that same confidence too, knowing that the team wouldn't include me in a trade for Mike Conley. Um, you know, if that if that report is true, um, that he wasn't allowed. I think I think Jim Michael had that out there that um, he was involved in the in his rookie season for a trade for Mike Conley, and then. I think Pritchard might have denied it, but I, I think Jay said that he heard that it was true. So I don't know, but I mean, if I uh, if I'm uh, if I'm Aaron Holiday and I heard that I was, you know, not traded for Mike Conley, I'd probably be a little more confident myself. But that's just who he is. I think he's always oozing with confidence. But yeah, he's been that way since childhood. I've talked to Justin about it. He's, <laughs> he laughs every time. I'm like, "Are you surprised Aaron had a good game and was confident?" He's like, "Bro, no, this that's who he is." I yep. selfishly, I wish Aaron was a better interview because I don't think his story has been told and he's, he's shared how he feels, not just about this, but being a player, being in the league. And, and I, I, I don't, I think there's a disconnect mm -hmm. between him, the fans, front office. I, do we truly know who Aaron is? I don't know. Yeah. I would say, I don't think we do, but anyway, Scott, we've had a good conversation here. So where can the people find Jad on Twitter and what do you have coming out on the Fieldhouse files? Yeah, you can check me out, uh, fieldhousefiles.com, um, Fieldhouse Files podcast, my latest one with Tim McMahon of ESPN. It was an awesome, fun conversation. Um, then I have all kinds of stories coming up. Uh, fun one, it's probably not for a week or two, but I, I'm writing about TJ McConnell's uh, obsession, let's say, with wine. 
Um, that's been a fun, fun story to research report. Um, you'll get to know an assistant coach. Had a long conversation with him, with one of them uh, here recently, uh, and what he's done off the court. Um, and then just a lot of reaction about Rick. And my biggest takeaway is the commitment from ownership and what that means. Yeah, no, no, there's no doubt about it. That commitment is huge, and I think it's got Pacer fans incredibly excited for the future of this team. So if you haven't already, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. My co-host, Mike Fauci, is at underscore F-A-C-C-I, and I'm at Alex Golden, NBA. We will talk to you all later this week.